Welcome to the teaching ministry of Christ Church of the Valley, featuring lead pastor Kevin Carlson. Today, we invite you to open your heart and your mind to what God is saying to you through His Word. We're glad you decided to listen in with us. Here now is Pastor Kevin. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. As I was uh, thinking about today, my mom has been living with us uh, since before Easter. She came to visit us for Easter and stayed. Uh, Ended up losing the place she was living in Selma and needed a place to live, so of course she moved in with us and has been staying with us ever since. And is getting ready to move back to Arizona next week. And uh, I'm thinking about this time I've had with her to sort of reconnect. It's been many years since I lived with my mother, since I was a boy, really. And uh, as I think about the things we've done together over these past, oh, six or eight weeks or so, it's the simple things that I think about the most. I remember one of her visits before she moved in with us, uh, she was down visiting with us and uh, the season finale, the series finale of MASH was on. And so I turned that on and, and mom's got real bad macular degeneration so she can barely see it all anymore. So she can't really watch TV, but she watched the show with me. And so what I would do is I would describe the action on the screen whenever the characters weren't talking to tell her what was happening and and what was going on. And, and so it was a two-hour show, and we watched that together, just she and I. Uh, and those kind of simple little things that you do together are just so memorable. And uh, I'm so thankful for those kind of things. We're in a series called Simple. Uh, and, and the premise is that simple is better than complicated. That in our relationship with God, that in how a church is run, in our lives, that simple works better than complex. Last week, we saw that when we have clarity in life, It makes things simple, and it makes life powerful. And we talked about being clear about what it is that God wants you to do. Well, this week, we're talking about the power of movement. That if you want a simple life, not only do you have to be clear about where it is you're going, you've got to be moving towards your goal in life. When I was a kid in Arizona, we had a couple different types of irrigation. We had the sprinklers that most houses had. But in the core of downtown, they had this flood irrigation system where you would open this little valve in your yard and it would just flood it uh, once every so often and water would just stand there and soak into the ground. It was left over from the agricultural days when Mesa was an agricultural sort of colony. And uh, the cool thing about that form of irrigation was as a desert kid, we didn't have a lot of you know, bodies of water to play in. And so when you get one of those uh, irrigated parks or, or yards, it created a little mini pond to play in. And it was great at first. You're splashing around in there, you know, and, and having a good time, even though, uh, you know, my mom would tell us that you realize what's in that water, you know, all the goo that's been on that yard for the last six months there is bubbling. We didn't care. Uh, but as the days went by, it became less pleasant to play in. As the water was standing, it got warm, and then it got sort of smelly, and then it got sort of scummy, until eventually not even us boys would want to go in there. Stagnant water just isn't that pleasant. And stagnant spirits aren't pleasant either. You see, for us to to grow spiritually, we got to be moving. And if we're not moving, we become stagnant spiritually. Now, movement was built into the church from its very earliest days. We're looking at the book of Acts. 
the early days of the church. And I want us to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8 here today. So you have a Bible, open it up to Acts 1, verse 8. I use uh, version for my Bible reading, uh, and I encourage you to download that. We also have an events uh, section in the app that'll show you the slides. You can take notes on that. Uh, share it with other people, and do a daily Bible reading plan. That's what I'm doing. I encourage you to do the same thing as well. And Acts 1.8 is real simple. It says this. This is Jesus talking to his apostles. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's look at what this passage tells us about movement and see how movement uh, unleashes spiritual growth. The first thing we see here is that Jesus specializes in breaking through barriers. He's a barrier buster. He says, you're going to start off in Jerusalem. That's where you're going to be my witnesses, in your hometown. And you're going to tell people about my resurrection right there where you live. But it's not going to be contained to just one city. That geographic barrier is not going to keep my gospel contained. It's going to go from Jerusalem to the surrounding area, like the county, Judea. That's the area around Jerusalem. And then beyond that to Samaria, sort of the next county over. And then from there to the ends of the earth. So you see the gospel sort of spreading from its epicenter in Jerusalem, eventually all the way to the city of Rome. But it was also cultural barriers that the gospel was breaking here. Uh, when it started off in Jerusalem, the gospel was strictly something uh, that Jews believed and preached. So the church was strictly Jewish. It was a mono-ethnic organization. And its first barrier broke was when it crossed over sort of a cultural barrier uh, from Judea to Samaria. Samaria was populated by people who had Jewish heritage and Gentile heritage both mixed together. And so their culture was a mixed culture. Uh, they had Jewish religious kind of heritage and they had Gentile religious heritage sort of mixed together. And the gospel broke through that barrier where normally the people wouldn't really mix. In fact, in Jesus' day, if you're going from Galilee down to Jerusalem, Samaria was in between. So what you would do is you would cross the Jordan River, go down, and then pop back into Judea before completing your journey so as to avoid sullying yourself by touching the dirt of Samaria. And yet Jesus is saying, how radical is this? You're going to be my witnesses not just in, in Judea, but that whole sort of county you've been avoiding your whole life, you're going to be my witnesses there too. And there's a further ethnic barrier the gospel broke uh, from being uh, Jewish in heritage to Gentile. People who had no Jewish background at all. It was a big argument the church had in its early days. Do you have to be a Jew first before you can become a Christian? And they decided no. And it wasn't long before there were more people with a Gentile, non-Jewish background in the church than there was with those with a Jewish background. You see, God's just not a big fan of barriers. He specializes in tearing barriers down. There's a really cool uh, story that happens around the crucifixion of Jesus. And at the moment of his death, he says, it is finished. And it says in the Bible that there's this big temple uh, in Jerusalem where they would worship God. And inside this temple was a room that only the high priest could go into one day a year. And there's a big veil that separated that room from the rest of the temple, sort of showing how God was separate from his people. Big, thick, heavy curtain there. And if you went into this holy of holies any other day than that one day a year where it was allowed by only the high priest, you would be struck dead. And the Bible says when Jesus breathed his last, that veil was ripped in half. You see, Jesus was penetrating the barriers that separated us from God because of sin. And now, not just the high priest, but anybody 
could, could approach God. And not just on one day of the year, but any day of the year, because God loves breaking down barriers. And he wants his church to be a big barrier breaker as well. Listen to this out of Galatians. I love this verse in Galatians. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me, that's a very sort of modern sentiment, and we sort of forget how radical that was in Jesus' day in a society that was extremely segregated. You make this kind of claim here. There's not going to be Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're going to be all one in Jesus. Those barriers aren't going to matter anymore. And every time the gospel would cross one of these little barriers, they would experience a little miniature version of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the church. It was God's way of saying, yes, it's okay to break these barriers. It's okay to be radical and countercultural, to be a, a church that embraces people of different ethnicities and different backgrounds in a society that's very segregated and segmenting, segmented. You know, the church should always look like the community that it's in. It should be free of barriers. And unfortunately, we don't live in a world that's barrier-free. A lot of progress has been made, but work still remains to be done. Are there ethnic barriers in society today? There sure are, even inside the church. Billy Graham used to say that the most segregated hour in America is at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning because people tend to segregate themselves uh, religiously. Are there socioeconomic barriers between rich and poor in our world today? There sure are. Are there gender barriers in our world today where women are not treated with respect and dignity? There sure are. Uh, so we got some progress to make, but the church should be sort of the standard bearer of barrier breaking rather than a barrier enforcing. You know, Jesus told us that we would be fishers of men. I like to fish. Uh, but if you're going to be a successful fisherman, you got to figure out what it is the fish are biting on. Uh, when I lived in Idaho, I liked to fish up in the mountains, and there were certain little spinners and stuff that we'd use in the alpine lakes. But then if you're down in the desert kind of lakes, on a boat fishing for bass or something like that, you'd use a totally different bait. And if you tried to use alpine bait in desert lake or vice versa, you would get no luck at all. And if you're using a bass lure up at 8,000 feet in an alpine lake and the fish aren't biting, you don't say, you stupid fish. Don't you realize this is awesome bait? I've caught a zillion bass on this bait. What are you doing? Bite the bait. But oftentimes we in the church do that to our community. We don't really think about who it is that God has placed us in amongst. And we don't become students of our culture saying, what is it I need to do to reach the fish? in the pond that God has placed me in rather than, well, this is the bait I like. I like this bait. I've had good luck with this bait in my life and I'm gonna use this bait regardless of the kind of fish that are swimming in our pond here. We've identified around here what our target looks like just by who lives in this area. The people that live in like a three mile radius around this church, are we gonna become a student of those folks that aren't yet uh, Christians and learn how can we relate to them and how can we do things as a church that'll help introduce them to Jesus because the fish determine the bait. You see, a simple church embraces a straightforward process that attracts people that are far from God and introduces them to Jesus in a straightforward way. There's tremendous power in that kind of simplicity to break down barriers. Second thing we learn about barriers is that they inhibit growth. This is why God hates them. They're growth killers. You know, the Chinese had a practice called foot binding. 
The idea was that in their culture, small feet were considered attractive on a woman. And if you had big feet, it was considered unattractive. And so what you would do is when a girl was very young, you would tie her feet up with ropes to keep them artificially bound and small. And so she would grow to adulthood, but have baby-sized feet that were very impractical for walking or running, but were considered beautiful by their standards. Now, we in America would, would scoff at such things, that you would intentionally inhibit the growth of someone's feet at some, some sort of grotesque view of what beauty is like. But we do that to ourselves spiritually all the time. We tie ourselves up spiritually in ways that inhibit our growth, either because we don't understand how growth works or we're not all in committed to how growth happens. Colossians 2.19, I love this verse in Colossians. Talking about people who aren't growing spiritually, it says this about them. They are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. So why, why does God nourish the church? Because he wants us all to grow. I used to grow roses. And, and when I would do that, I'd, I'd pour all this fertilizer on them and all this kind of stuff to nourish these things and water them just right so they'd be beautiful and grow. I did it because I wanted the plant to grow. If I really didn't care all that much, you just sort of ignore it and, and let it sort of go wild. You have like a desert landscaped yard, that kind of thing. I didn't want that. I wanted something beautiful. And so I, I planted roses even in the desert, but it took nourishment to make them grow. So this verse tells us that God wants us to grow because he's nourishing us. That's why he nourishes us, to help us grow spiritually. But we don't always grow spiritually, do we? It says in this verse here that there are people that aren't growing spiritually. And why aren't they growing? Because they're disconnected from Jesus. It says, they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. So when we're disconnected to Jesus, we can't grow. So there's barriers that prevent us from connecting with Jesus. And when we have these barriers, we're separated from him. What do these barriers come from? Well, to understand that, we got to review a little bit from last week, if you weren't here, what the five stages of spiritual growth are that we promote here at CCV based upon our mission statement, inviting you to a better life, which is life with God, life with others, and life with purpose. You know, stage one is giving God the first day of the week with, with, with attendance and worship. Stage two, giving him the first hour of my day through personal Bible study. Step three, giving him the first portion of my finances through tithing. Uh, step four is, is becoming involved in a small group and committing myself to other people. And step five is becoming active in service, just like Jesus was a servant by serving on a ministry team. So what we want to ask ourselves, if these are the steps of growth, what's preventing me from growing? A lack of movement. It's when I get stuck on one of these stages and don't go to the next one. Maybe where I'm getting stuck is I'm, I'm just not regular in my attendance and worship. It's just very sporadic. And so it's hard to put God first because he doesn't have the first day of my week. And so I'm stuck there until I move into making worship a priority, I'm not going to grow spiritually. Maybe I'm, I'm doing that, but I'm not in the word myself. I'm not reading God's word for my own spiritual growth. Well, if so, God's nowhere in my head throughout the day. The world is, and so I'm not going to grow spiritually until I move into reading the Bible every day, which is why we have a reading plan for every message series that we do here. It's really super simple. Anybody can do this. Just go to our events uh, thing on version there, and it'll show you reading planning. You sign up for it. It'll push it straight to your, your phone or tablet every day. If we're reading our Bible and attending worship, but we're not being obedient to God with our finances, we get stuck. 
And here's the brutal truth. 92% of American Christians are stuck because they, they never honor God with any portion of their finances at all. 92% of people, they don't honor God at all. Zero is what they give to God. And so they never get to this stage because God is nowhere to be found in their budget, in their purse, or in their wallet. And so they, they, it's a barrier that keeps them from growing spiritually. Or you're not connected to other people. I've got a personal relationship with God, but the relationship with other believers is sort of weak. And so we want to be involved in a small group so I can live out my faith with other people. Or maybe I'm stuck because it's all about me. I'm like the Dead Sea. Everything flows in, but nothing flows out in service to other people. And until I turn it around and make it not about me, but about serving other people, I'm going to be stuck spiritually. So where are you stuck spiritually? What is the barrier that's preventing you from becoming the person God created you to be? What's binding you up spiritually to make you artificially stunted? You know, the bad news is most people are stuck at one or all of these stages. The good news is you don't have to be. You can take the rope off and grow as God intended you to grow because he's nourishing you through his word, through other believers, through, through the ministry that you can have. All these things will nourish you spiritually if you remove the barriers between you and spiritual growth. Third, growth requires movement. Movement. Jesus gave us our marching orders in the Great Commission. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. If you break that command down, there's one verb in there, which is make disciples. I want you to make disciples. Someone who's under my authority. That's what a disciple is. is someone who's under the authority of Jesus. And I do that three ways, by going, baptizing, and teaching. These are sort of the three action words that are in there. Going into the community, Baptizing represents the surrendering of my life to Jesus, teaching us to obey everything he's commanded us. And the way it's meant to work is sort of like a big circle. You've got going, baptizing, teaching, going, baptizing, teaching. See, we go into the community, we, we bring someone to Jesus, they surrender their life to him, we teach them uh, what Jesus commands us to, how to live. And one of those things he teaches us to do is to share our faith with the people around us by loving them, inviting them to church. And they do so, we're going into the community, baptizing, teaching. See, there's movement there. It's a cycle of spiritual growth and rebirth that happens from generation to generation. And it's supposed to happen in my life. I'm going, I'm baptizing, I'm teaching, I'm going, I'm baptizing, I'm teaching. But unfortunately, the modern church is sort of stuck. The way it looks in most churches today isn't that sort of circular movement kind of thing. It's like a one-way street. Go, baptize, teach, and it just ends here like a dead-end street. Someone shares the gospel with me. I eventually say yes to Jesus and I'm baptized, and then I start learning what Jesus wants me to do, and that's sort of where I stay the rest of my life, in this eternal kind of classroom mode where all I'm doing is, is eternally learning, but I'm not going back into my community. I'm not sharing my faith with anybody, and it sort of ends with me like a chain whose final link is busted, and it just sort of stops there. And, and so I don't grow spiritually. I'm not intended to be an eternal student. Jesus said, didn't say in his great commission, teach them to know everything I have commanded you. And yet the modern church is set up as if that's what Jesus said. When we take a program classroom driven approach to disciple making, it's all about what you know. And so you have endless classes you attend, endless Bible studies you go to. 
And as someone who's grown up in the church, I don't know how many of those I've attended in my life. And we get the idea after a while, because this is what the church is pushing, is all these classes, that the point is to increase what I know. And the more I know of Jesus, the closer I get to him, where that's not what Jesus said, is it? He said, teach them to obey all I have commanded you. Now, knowledge is the first step to wisdom. If I don't know what Jesus commands, how can I obey him, right? So I gotta know what it is he wants me to do. But the real fight comes not through a lack of knowledge, it comes through a lack of application. When I'm not applying God's word to my everyday life. See, that's when I stop moving spiritually and get stuck when I'm not applying it. Romans 12 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be like everybody else. But instead, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. So I want to change the way I think, so I change the way I act, so I'm different from the world around me. And the modern church is failing horribly at this. The vast majority of people who attend church are indistinguishable from the world around them by the habits of their lives. It's why so many people are disobedient to God financially is because most people in the world are. Our world worships money, not God, and so we just jump right in there along with them. And, and we make the things of the world our God, and, and, and we bust the very first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. I want to come first in your life, God says. And we get stuck because we're not being transformed. We delude ourselves into thinking, if I know what the Bible teaches, that's what makes me mature, even if while... I'm being utterly disobedient to God in my finances, in my sexuality, in various areas of my life. We fool ourselves into thinking I can look like the world as long as I think like Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to think like me so you can act like me. So, so if a church isn't seeing transformation, people that are radically different from their neighbors, they make different moral choices they spend their time differently. They spend their money differently. They behave differently than those around them. We're not doing our job. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Two things about salt. First of all, it's salty. You know, you put it, I, my younger son is a saltaholic. You, know, you, like a little, you like a little meat with that salt, Benny? You know, whoosh kind of deal there. And the thing he likes about salt, of course, is it's so flavorful. He likes bold flavors, that kind of stuff. So he likes a lot of spice on his food. Now, salt's no good if you're piling it on there and you can't tell that it's on there at all. That's the whole point of salt, is to be flavorful. When Jesus said we're the salt of the earth, we're to be flavorful. We're to stand in contrast to the world around us by how we live. But the second sort of metaphor about salt there is for salt to be any good, it's got to get out of the salt shaker. It doesn't do any good inside the salt shaker. You could have the most awesome salt shaker in the world. Solid gold, jewel encrusted, heirloom from Louis XIV, salt shaker there. Could be the best salt shaker in the world, but if the salt just stays there and never gets out, the salt is useless. In the same way, if we're called to be the salt of the earth, we Christians, we're not doing any good if we always stay in here, if our faith stays in here. Our faith has got to get out there where it can make a difference in this world. So we're not conformed to the world, living just like the world, but we're living differently from the world. And this is hard nowadays. It's really hard because our culture no longer even pretends to have a Christian mooring morally. 
You know, the majority of kids aren't born to a married couple anymore. The majority of people no longer define marriage in a godly way. The majority of people no longer pursue relationships in a way that honors God. We've already talked about how we don't honor God with our finances. The, the, the modern culture is just really far from God, and we Christians are really good at blending into the world when we should be separating ourselves from the world by our behavior. And I think part of that is the church's fault because we're so focused on knowledge, on classroom, behavior, on classroom knowledge, that we've sort of ignored the transformational behavior that should happen when we surrender our lives to Jesus. That's why a simple church has a process, a simple process to grow as a disciple rather than a multitude of programs designed to keep the salt busy inside the salt shaker. Jesus said this in John 15, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Fruitfulness, he says, fruitfulness. There's two kinds of fruit we can produce, the changed life and reproducing ourselves. Think about it, what is fruit designed to do? You start off as a seed in the ground, it grows into a tree, the tree blossoms, the blossom turns into a fruit which has a seed inside of it, falls to the ground, the seed is planted there, the tree grows again, and it reproduces the whole thing. So we're mature as believers when we're reproducing ourselves. So you're giving much fruit, you're glorifying God, but when it ends with us, you give one fruit and it's done, and never, the seed never gets in the ground, then we're not glorifying God. Because when we produce much fruit, the fruit of a changed life and, and a fruit of, of a shared faith, then we give a lot of praise and glory to God. When you stop growing, you, stop, you start stagnating. And when you stop moving spiritually, you stop growing spiritually. Where are you stuck? Are, are you going in your life, taking your faith with you to your neighbors? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus, that whole baptism step? Have you done that? Are you obeying the commands of Jesus? in your everyday life. Which one of these is tripping you up there? Because growth requires movement. And the last thing we learn here about this is that movement leads to multiplication. Movement leads to multiplication. I love the parable of the sower. I, I've, I've shared that with you in the past about a guy sowing seed. You have hard soil, rocky soil, weedy soil, and good soil. Uh, and we often focus on the soils here but I want to focus on the description that Jesus gives later in this parable, describing the point of this little story about a guy planting seeds. He says this in Mark 4, verse 15. Some people are like the seed along a path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they fall away quickly. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. See, sometimes we're like that hard soil, where the barrier keeping us from growth is a lack of obedience. We practice what I call Jesus accept. Jesus, you can come in my church life, except you can't come over here in my work life or my money life or my hobby life or my sex life. I've got all these sort of carve outs. Jesus accept. 
Sure, Jesus, you're the boss of my life, except the following. Boop, 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 boop. And that's, that's when our hearts are just hard. We just shut Jesus out of different areas of our life because we have a lack of obedience. Then we have what I call Jesus until. Sure, I'll embrace Jesus until bad times come or trouble comes. I thought the whole point was, if I'm a Christian, everything comes up roses for me. It's like getting a winning lottery ticket in life all the time and nothing bad ever happens to me. And as soon as something bad happens, boom, my faith goes away. It had no root because it wasn't able to withstand trouble or persecution. I've got Jesus until things go bad and then out of here. Then we have what I call Jesus and. Sure, I'll add Jesus to my life along with the deceitfulness of wealth, the pleasures of this world and the other desires of my heart. I'll just add him in there with those things and we'll just make it one big happy family. That's what the Romans did. They would just add the gods of the different lands they would conquer. What's one more? We got a thousand already, what's a thousand and one? And oftentimes that's how we pursue Jesus. I'll just add him to my life amongst these many other things and I'll just practice Jesus and. And he just gets choked out because we don't make him a priority. So if I want to move spiritually, I've got to go from Jesus except to Jesus everywhere. There's no door in my heart that's closed to him. There's no area of my life where he is forbidden. He gets to go everywhere in my life. I go from Jesus until, times get tough, to Jesus always. That I count it joy when I suffer a hard time because now my faith has a chance to grow and be tested. And I go from Jesus and to Jesus only. No rivals for my heart. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, above all else, it says in another translation, and his righteousness, and all the other things in life will be added to you as well. But for life to work, Jesus has to come first. And when he does, something incredible happens. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. God produces a tremendous crop of righteousness and of life change and of influence in your life. When you make Jesus first, he multiplies the blessing. Same thing in a church. We have a simple process that moves people who are far from God close to Jesus. Our influence is multiplied throughout the whole city for maximum impact. My dad's got a house on a lake in Idaho. And it's a beautiful lake, but you really get maximum enjoyment out of it if you have a boat. So my grandpa had a boat, my cousin had a boat, and then eventually my dad got a boat. Uh, but dad was at the stage of his life where he didn't want some sort of bouncy speedboat. You know, he didn't want to go out on the lake and... He didn't want that. He got one of those big old pontoon jobs, you know, with the shade kind of deal. And you can put like 20 people on it, and he's got a cooler and all this kind of stuff. And so the idea is you just sort of tool along out there and enjoy the breezes and munch and snack and this kind of stuff. And it's a lot of fun being out on the party boat there on the lake. The hard part about the party boat, however, is it is a bear to drive this thing. And uh, growing up in the desert, not a lot of experience with boats, but I was determined to master this thing. I learned two things about driving a pontoon boat. First of all, the, the, the pier he had, the little, the little marina, it had, a, a, a pier, it had a, like a, a dock that stuck out and had bays. And four bays faced the, the open water and four bays faced the shore. First thing I learned is don't try to park here. It doesn't work. You go in there, it's shallow, and you're scraping the bottom, and you have to turn real sharp, and you get all, you get sideways in there. There's no room to turn around. You're just dead. 
So don't go in there. You got to go in the open area. You go in there. The second thing I learned is this. You can crank the wheel all you want, but if the motor's not engaged, you're not going anywhere. It is impossible to steer a parked boat. If the motor's not going, you can crank that thing and you're just, it's just not moving. It doesn't influence the direction of the boat at all. For there to be a change of direction for the boat, the motor has to be engaged. The boat has got to be moving. And then a small change in the rudder can produce a drastic change in the direction of the boat. Well, the same thing happens spiritually. If you're not moving spiritually, if you're docked, Spiritually, you can go to church all day long and listen to Bible studies all day long, but it's not going to change a thing. It's got to go from here out to here. The motor has got to be revving spiritually in your life to get you moving spiritually. And then small little changes can produce a huge, a huge bonus in your life. Are you docked in your faith or are you moving in your faith? When I was in Bible college, back in the early 80s, we're going back a ways now, we had a, a guest preacher that came to do a chapel, and chapel was voluntary, and it was sort of a sad commentary then that most future preachers wouldn't go to chapel, right? Uh, but I was at this chapel one day, and Bob was, uh, a guy named Bob was, was preaching, and he shared uh, <clears throat> this little excerpt that uh, he got from a, uh, it's a widely known story kind of thing, an African pastor was killed for his faith, and in his jail cell the next day, they found this little thing he wrote, a manifesto he wrote, proclaiming where he was at and what he was dying for. And as Bob shared this with me when I was like 19 or 20 years old, it just lit a fire inside of me. And every now and then when I feel stagnant spiritually, I have to go back and read this statement from this African pastor. This sort of encouraged me to get moving again spiritually. I want to share it with you. Maybe you've heard it before. He wrote this, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't back up, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, or recognized, or praised, or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable, and my mission, it's clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. He loves alliteration, obviously. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. What about you? Are your colors clear? Are you moving spiritually? Or are you stuck and stagnant? 
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Christ Church of the Valley, which meets every Sunday at 9 and 1030 a.m. at 13701 West Stockdale Highway in Bakersfield, California. For more information, visit our website at ccvbak.com.